taking command is a story of how God, through a few questing and engrailed master masons operating in America, gave the world the gift of spiritual freedom. Morning, Washington, Reed, and Israel Putnam on horseback, looking down from the heights of Galwyn upon the British camp, which has moved across the water from Staten Island to the plain of flatlands on Long Island. We see 125 white tents of the British. Reed says, General Washington, Green was correct. We must level New York instead of this doubtful operation. Two-thirds of New York is held by Tories. If the enemy gets possession of the city, we will be unable to recover it without a superior naval force. If we burn New York, the British will be unable to barrack their entire force together, and we will have taken their general supply market. All of these advantages would accrue to us through destruction. Its preservation yields nothing. No, I have decided, Reed. We will leave half the army to defend New York and Putnam. You will direct the defense from our fortifications on Brooklyn Heights. General Reed says we will be toying with a superior army. Admiral Howe continues his show of force, maneuvering his heavy ships up and down the north and east rivers, clearing our obstructions as fast as we position them. Read, the Admiral will not risk His Majesty's ships when we have both shores of the East River lined with cannon. Putnam nods with Washington, but Reed is not in agreement. With General Green, grievous sick, we have no one on the ground familiar with Long Island. I beg to differ, General. Now is not the time to bring matters to a head and meet them in a general battle. Washington says the next with some annoyance. General Sterling and General Sullivan will be positioned well forward of our Brooklyn redoubt. Gentlemen, it is time to press the issue strenuously and see where we stand. Putnam and Reed and I will return to New York. If you need us, we will be down immediately with our troops. Yes, sir, Putnam says, we'll hold the Brooklyn line. Reed wears a not-so-sure look. Scene 57. British staff meeting on August the 20th at Flatland headquarters, white tents. General Howe is pointing to a map with the officers semicircled around him. He looks at and engages each mentioned officer. We see them making varying facial movements and energies of agreement. As Howe speaks, we see a light impression of the action that will ensue as the camera fades in and out from present to future. Our Long Island maneuver will commence tonight. We will use General Clinton's fake frontal attack. Clinton tries to hide his pleasure. 
than Howe takes back control. The rebels' exposed left flank warrants this maneuver. Clinton's light infantry force will lead. At the head of the advance guard will be Captains Evelyn and Delancey and three loyalist farmers who will serve as guides. General Cornwallis will follow them with eight reserve battalions and 14 pieces of artillery. General Percy and myself will bring up the rear with six reserve battalions, more artillery, and baggage wagons. Our column of 10,000 will stretch for two miles. At 5 a.m., General Grant will begin the frontal attack in skirmish formation near the Narrows at Gowanus Road. Grant, your approach will be cautious, not vigorous, as you await the completion of our outflanking maneuver. When we arrive, approximately at 9 a.m., two signal guns will blast out, and then your men, Grant, will attack in earnest, as will we, with a thunder of artillery from the rear. The rebels will be surrounded, and a rout will ensue. Scene 58. Cut to the action, where we see the Americans in headlong flight and Generals Washington, Reed, and Heath watching the action through spy glasses from a Brooklyn hill. They see General Lord Sterling and his 250 Marylanders attacking General Cornwallis for the fifth time as they provide cover for American troops fleeing to the Brooklyn Redoubt. Good God, what brave fellows I must this day lose, Washington says. As he listens, Reed shakes his head, and Heath observes him and nods over their general's failure once again. Then we see Lord Sterling's men scatter. Scene 59. We see General Howe and staff on horses watching through scopes as rebel soldiers flee to the flimsy redoubt on Brooklyn Heights with very eager redcoats in pursuit to take the redoubt. Howe to staff. The redoubt looks to be heavily defended. We will pull back from a general assault and use regular advances. General, General Percy says, from what I see, the men are filled with zeal. We can take it. I concur wholeheartedly, Grant says. And General Cornwallis rides in with his men. Let's take the redoubt. We have them. Others of his staff agree. General, they are entirely at our will. Howe's face is set with intrinsic purpose as he turns to others who await his orders. Lieutenant, alert General Vaughn and the other commanders. The order is to desist. We see the lieutenant head off at a gallop. Cut to the lieutenant meeting with Vaughn. No, sir. We can easily carry the redoubt. Tell the general my men have sufficient zeal for the undertaking. All of Vaughn's officers are in agreement. Cut to Hal, who is watching through his scope. Patterson, send multiple riders. The order is pull back and desist now. Patterson turns to his staff and nods. They race toward Vaughn's position. From Hal's scope, we see them all turn and look Hal's way. A small discussion takes place, and Vaughn gives the order. Clinton has approached Hal. General, there seems to be a great disposition to serve. My original plan did not include a general assault at the redoubt, but maybe we should wage an all-out assault given the zeal of our officers and men. Regular approaches by advances, Clinton, as we planned. 
Where are they going to go? Clinton nods. He likes what has been planned. Other officers nod. This makes sense. How Clinton and others move off, but some officers show with a general murmur of dissent that this is too cautious, and the how they know never behaves in this manner. Scene 60. Battle participants are back at the white tents on the Flatlands Plain, Long Island. General Howe and his staff, amidst other redcoats, are riding in. They dismount and walk into the HQ tent filled with officers. The brandy in Madeira is flowing. Glorious day, General. Your usual? Howe smiles and nods at Patterson and then sees General Grant. Grant! I hear that General Sullivan engaged your troops for four hours. If they were not antagonists, Grant says, I would have congratulated their effort. We were six times their numbers, and they kept coming. Then they were hit by thousands of Hessians from the woods, and Cornwallis attacked. True, Cornwallis says. We cut off Sullivan's escape route until Lord Sterling and his 250 gave them cover to retreat with a blaze of deadly fire. Came at us at least... I'd say five times. I have to give it to them. They fought heroically against incredible odds and with the fierceness of wolves. Sterling and Sullivan are our prisoners now. We will treat our Masonic brothers honorably. How nods with yes we will. General von Hester, we Hessians honor Lord Sterling. He broke through our fire to surrender his sword to us. Not to you English. <laughs> the Hessians laugh and the British look at them. How likes that? A general until the end. General, Clinton says, we forget ourselves in this. How speaks with God's heroism. Clinton, we are honorable warriors of God's character first. Recognizing others of similar ground is on the level. Hear, hear, all say, as they break into heroic song, honoring how. Your battle strategy, nonetheless, was outstanding, Clinton, and enabled our victory today. Now less so, hear, hear. Clinton somewhat pleased. General Percy says, our men behave themselves like British troops fighting in a good cause. Hear, hear. Their determined courage and ardor held the day, Howe said. Grant adds, our route abated the rebellious fire of those Bible-faced Yankees. Laughter. Now Howe is back to business. Well done, men. Vaughn is seen to our entrenchment and advances. He is, Percy says, and will follow your orders, General. Both exchange wry grins. Noted, Percy. General Grant, you are in charge while I attend a meeting with Lord Admiral Robert. Patterson, Percy, all my staff, you're with me. Clinton comes forward. A word, General. Clinton is in a mood, and Howe counters with polite aristocratic bearing, intending that Clinton will feel the distance and purpose in that moment between them. Clinton misses it. It is of the utmost importance, General, that the Admiral position his gunboats to rake the heights of Brooklyn and the East River shore opposite to cut off Washington's escape route to New York. How, done with deferring the moment, quietly slams Clinton with tone and presence. Our sources inform Clinton that 
Fort Sterling on Brooklyn Heights is fully garrisoned with heavy cannon, and cannon, no doubt, is positioned on the opposite side. A gauntlet, if you will, Clinton. The rebels thought New York was the intended target. Be advised, Clinton. The Lord Admiral knows best where to hazard his majesty's assets. If that is all, we leave for Staten Island. Clinton looks defeated. Howe and staff exit. Unequivocally offensive, Patterson says. I'd love to call him out. Patterson? Patterson's right, General, Percy says. That shy bitch, the others look, as Clinton refers to himself, is ever yapping at your heels, very like a foxhound without instinct. How smiles. No upbringing, Percy continues. The luck of birth, Patterson adds, is it? How says? Patterson pauses as he takes in and makes sense of the lingering weight of the general's meaning. Ah, I see. Clinton is still only born of water, not yet of spirit as well. His fellow masons reflect in intuition and know he is right as small ahas smiles mirror all around. Scene 61, Staten Island. General Howe, Patterson, Percy, and staff ride up to Howe's mansion at their camp. Howe indicates he will be only a moment. He leaves and runs up the stairs, and his men look at each other with, so he says, and this might be a while. They dismount and talk to each other and military personnel close by. Camera cut. Howe stands before the closed door of their bedroom. He puts his hand out and takes the knob in his hand, smiles in anticipation for a moment, and then opens the door slowly. Elizabeth is at her desk writing. The camera draws in. We see her slowly drawing a figure eight, starting with a point and then curving upward to the left then to the right. The eights become smaller and smaller until there is only a point again. And from there, she forms ever larger circles. Howe stands there a moment, admiring her deeply. She is absorbed, and then she feels him there as her pencil drops. She takes in all that he is without turning as her face lights up. She slowly bites her lower lip in utter sensuality through love. She turns to him and then rushes forward and her papers drop. The general catches her in his arms and holds her as their kiss is of everything and then one thing. You're here. I was so. Separation from you is impossible, Elizabeth, my love. Never have I ever wanted someone or anything the way I want you. Hal carries her to their bed and hurriedly unhooks his sword which crashes to the ground as E pulls him to her and he is on top of her. And then we see clothes and boots falling to the ground as E giggles. And we hear, oh, E. Afterward, Elizabeth is overcome with light tears from the weight of all. Why do you, William says, never worry. I will take care of everything. E trying to speak without a show of emotion, how softly, what is it, my love, anything?
our souls, the weight of all that we are, of God, of love, in me, in us. William nestles in behind her and says slowly with full weight, my love, I know. I feel his presence here in us. It is a wonder. Every time with you, I discover the lost word within. The camera view is out the window. The two of them are utterly one as the light sound of wind in the pine trees outside comes through the casement windows. I can tell you this now, for you are of it, E. This is the Templar level when the lost perception quickens in us and we are of it without difference. My father through nature, he says, my brother through humanity, my bridegroom through love. Beautiful. I have never heard those words before. I believe I wrote it a long time ago. William looks at her pages on the ground. He rises and wraps a garment around himself. Were you writing to me? Yes. May I? <laughs> he nods. William picks up a sheet. Figure eights? He looks at her quizzically. He smiles. He reads her lines and is moved. He hands it to her and nods. She shakes her head and recites from memory and is of love as she holds his eyes. My hero, you asked me if I cared to see a view that frames serenity, a river leafy for my mind, nature's chalice filled with wine. The sun was setting on the sea. Gray mountains rose so gracefully. Lavender flushed across the sky, a painting brush to be enshrined. The sun now sets in your dark eyes. God's brilliant light they keep alive. You are my knight in shining mail, my peace, my love, my holy grail. How is stunned and looks at her with full depth. This is from our shore ride, the woods and the sunset. Amazing, how did you? For it is as though God himself guides your pen. Elizabeth smiles and knows not what to say. It is all that I am. Wolf would have loved your poem. Wolf? My commander years ago, he read poetry to us before a battle. He would have loved you. He smiles. You know, Hal says, I don't know who you are. He studies her with a smile spun from the fullness of his desiring and says, The only one I have ever known where innocence follows experience. E's brilliant face smiled as though becalmed by prayer while Howe perceives in a rush. You are ever of God's love, always new to me with your joyous sense of wonder and delight. Measured now as his brow arches with thought, my brother George, that's the all of it, had that way, your way. E casts upon him a speaking look, then thinks better of it as Howe chases his memories away. 
when I went into battle yesterday, I had the strangest feeling that I carried your token with me, as though these were medieval times, and you were my chaste lady that I loved ever at a distance to keep us pure and in love. Now you know why I never wanted to, William, so we could ever be. But then I had a war to attend to, and are you glad? Yes. They look at each other. Our coming together at this time was not by chance. No, William says, for we confirm the mystery in God. Oh, but we do. A moving silence. Hal looks down and picks up another page. When did you write this? Yesterday morning early. It kept me from worrying about you. He looks with, may I read? He agrees, and he reads aloud. Ah, divine love, there is nothing like it when we two share in the blissful feeling of one as we drift upon the slow, dreamy flow of the heavenly soul within. Oh, E, how's breath catches and her heart drops, and then he looks at her with insight. Liberty, darling, we are living the mystery. First I am awakened to God on the battlefield, and now I am in love with you in his way. There is a knock on the door. Yes? General, the meeting. How in a general's voice, not now. Hal looks at her and softens. I am sorry, but the world can wait. They look at each other and her eyes say yes. Camera cut to Patterson and Percy outside on horseback with the general's horse. Percy smiles knowingly. Hmm. Can we expect otherwise, Patterson says? No. Who would with Cleopatra? The world ceases to exist. I, never mind. Patterson understands what Percy did not say and looks away. Cut to Elizabeth and Howe finishing dressing. Let's go riding. He says, what time is it? I have to meet my brother. He looks at a clock as it strikes the hour and goes out the door. Camera cut to a lower level of the mansion. Lieutenant, inform Generals Patterson and Percy. We will be leaving shortly and ready another horse. E. Elizabeth will be joining us. Camera cut to the lieutenant riding over to Patterson with a horse while Percy practices his dressage with intent while others look on with interest. Balfour to Mackenzie and Patterson overhears. Who is this for? Mackenzie nods with a wry smile. I'd say a little too keen. How and E come down the stairs and E stops to admire Percy's demonstration. Patterson arrives with Elizabeth's horse, and Howe takes all in as he helps E up. E says to Percy, who has stopped his show and trotted over, Beautifully done, Lord Percy, but I must say my general is better. Howe smiles, and Percy deflates. Howe mounts up. Take out the action, Percy. Percy looks with inquiry. The action? The thinking, Percy. Percy's easy nonchalance tightens. Brilliant, William. That's the difference. Hal gives Percy time to recover. 
Percy, her father, loved to fox hunt and taught her to ride. Elizabeth says the neck's purely at X, but it becomes nuanced in translation. And William, he taught me the art of dressage as well for proper discipline so that my horse and I would move together as one. How and E look at each other and are momentarily lost. Percy does not want to watch, so he takes them from each other with very good family, General. How and Percy smile together approvingly, but with constraint. I know the perfect ride, but the Admiral, Percy, a short ride to his ship, E suddenly turns her horse and looks back at them with a saucy and very competitive smile. Anyone game? Keep your heels down, Percy. E puts heels to her horse and takes off with joy. They all look greatly amused. Hal says she does this. The gauntlet is down. I'll take it up, Percy says, and heads after her, while Hal and Patterson share looks of another Percy indiscretion before they give chase. As the camera closes in on them, we find Percy with an ardent smile, Hal zealously overtaking Percy, and as Patterson's horse hits stride from behind, he passes Elizabeth. Fellow officers watch this rare occurrence. One of them says, as he makes a wide arm and head movement with a look of, can you believe it? She rides as well as any of us. You're surprised, Balfour says. Well, yes, a perfect lady, and yet, and yet she's one of us, Mackenzie adds. Silence as they admire her bold spirit. He's hers, all right, Balfour says. Atlanta has the general's heart and soul. What's Percy up to? Using your mythology, Kenzie, I'd say he wants her golden apples. Never will he wrestle her from Hal. All four shake their heads with varying shades of misgiving. Scene 62. We see Patterson, Hal, Elizabeth, and Percy dashing up to the Admiral's ship with plank lowered. The Admiral walks down looking at his timepiece. They dismount to properly greet. Good afternoon, Elizabeth. How was the ride? The Admiral asks. Good afternoon, Admiral, splendid and fast. The Admiral looks at his brother with, Is this becoming a problem? You're late. As the General seems not to be attending to the Admiral's obvious displeasure and is outwardly entranced by Elizabeth. The General feels the Admiral's look, makes sense of the rest of the Admiral's mind, and suddenly collects himself. Yes, well, Colonel Patterson, please see Elizabeth home, and General Percy, go with them. I have other business to attend to now with the Admiral. It will be an honor, Patterson says. Percy? Percy looks with, I thought I was attending as well. And then his thought is one of Elizabeth. Hal catches Percy's look and thought indiscretion, but he is too filled with Elizabeth to make much of it. Thank you, Elizabeth, the general says. They look at each other in such a way that makes the admiral turn. The general soon joins his brother, and Percy moves in front of Patterson to help Elizabeth mount up. Please let me assist you, Lady Elizabeth. Patterson can't believe Percy's action and shrugs his shoulders for now. Inside the ship, the general pours himself a brandy. The admiral says, the rumor is she is your Cleopatra. 
The job was taken care of, Robert. We conduct our private lives very differently. Your tides? They didn't work out. How did you leave it? Entrenchment and regular approaches called off the general. My men would have faced a mile-long Breed Hill firing squad. Vaughn will have the advanced column in position tomorrow morning. We may need your ships. No, the admiral says, too risky. There's cannon on both sides of the river. And Washington? He'll figure it out. He's got all night to get out of there. We have American Masons, Sullivan and Lord Sterling, our prisoners. Will you join us for dinner tomorrow night? Not likely, Howe says. I return early tomorrow morning to the field. It's been a trying week, Robert. I will keep you informed. Is there anything else? The admiral weighs his necks for a moment and thinks better of it. William, you are in your right. Please accept my apology. They nod and some of the tension is released. Robert, you are thinking of a peace commission? Yes, I am. And if Sullivan or Sterling is amenable, one of them could carry forth the message to Washington and their Congress. With infused zeal, of course, the general adds. The admiral nods. Do we have any more to offer their Congress? The admiral looks with inquiry. They know we can only grant pardons, the general says. What's in it for them or us? Why should any of us come to the table? The admiral sees his brother has something. You're thinking? You told me you were very impressed with Franklin's intuitive powers. Yes, so? Another meeting makes sense only if Franklin is in attendance. I see, the admiral says. We could make our position known to him in Masonic words and intuitive feel without the others knowing. Unless, the general adds, we felt another, a non-Mason was in attendance that could feel into what we were doing. The admiral is very intrigued and brightens considerably. Yes, and for the others? Sullivan or Sterling, the general says, will make their Congress think we have something more. If you make them believe it, send the one with the most zeal. He'll get the job done without knowing what it is he does. Just a thought. The admiral nods with excellent idea. Good night, Robert. Good night, William. Sorry about before. Cut to Howe and Elizabeth on the veranda. How sits with a drink, somewhat bothered by something. E knows he is troubled and decides to undo its hold on him. I love the night, William. I feel the light in it. There's always been a feeling of fullness. When I was 15 or maybe 16, I would sneak out to my horse and ride bareback. William looks at her with words and she answers. Yes, Will, I felt it all ahead of time, that it would be entirely safe. God was with me in fullness, your shield, he nods. The sense of peace and stillness was everything. Very nice to form such a relation with God so young. They sit, feeling all, but then something creeps back in. Elizabeth, has Lord Percy tried to tried to make love to you? Elizabeth laughs naturally and looks at him. I believe he is in love with you and it is becoming obvious and he is acting true. 
Elizabeth says. He helped me onto my horse in a different way, but it means nothing to me. And Patterson observed. Yes, Patterson told me. I am sorry, E, you do this to them without intention. And I know they feel drawn to you because you radiate what they do not know and want. I should not care, but I... I love you so entirely that this makes me jealous. A first, I must admit. Oh, William, how could you ever think that about me? You know my heart. You are my St. George, who knows all ahead of time. You felt Percy's intention, and now you feel mine. William pulls her to him. My girl, my dearest girl, I'm sorry. I love you too much. She mirrors what he feels, and they kiss like the first time. She whispers, When one is like this, it is always the same feeling, like the first night we met at the ball. He looks at her, and she reads him from within her spirit and smiles brilliantly. Hmm, I guess at it. You knew I was there before I knew of you. He smiles and takes a drink from habit and then puts it down, realizing there is no need for it just now. She takes him in. You spotted me, William, in the room. No, how could you when it was exceedingly crowded? You felt me there. How smiles as he remembers. E looks at him to continue. I was walking toward my center, Elizabeth, where you seem ever to exist. I loved you before I ever saw you, before I saw your face. So that's what that Greek myth was about, Cupid and Psyche. Love in the soul, he adds. Their sense of fullness grows. I told Patterson soon after we walked in that there was someone in attendance with the difference. How smiles. He didn't believe me. So I outflanked him and walked right up behind you. I had to. He wanted you too, but luckily not as much, for he had not felt your E effect. You were engaging your group marvelously, not with flirtation, but with love. Yes, I remember thinking, it is as though you are in love with each one of them, and I wanted that too. No, to be on the level, I wanted all of you. He contemplates his words and then brightens with transparent joy. My darling, how much you see into everything. There is not your like. She turns and hugs him with the joy of a child. You are right, she says. Never put it to thought before. This happens to me from the moment I enter a room filled with those of palpable joy. I am permeated utterly with their spirit, and I mirror all back to them. Oh, William, yes, I am in love with the love that is in each one of them. And if that were all that happened at the party or dance, I would be completely happy. For that is the best part as much as I love the rest of the play as well, until I met you. And ever do we play in love, in heaven, of God's image. Hal holds her, and she does not see him tear, but knows. And then suddenly she turns and kisses him. They remain as they are seated, near to each other, and feel into all. Hal speaks from that place where nothing else matters, and E is of it similarly.
Elizabeth, I want to give you something that is very dear with meaning for me. He wonders and listens. I must see about it. I have to leave early tomorrow morning. Duty calls, and I must. So soon? What would you like to do? In their stillness, it has already begun. He gently touches her hand, and they give all to each other.